Hello everyone, this is Tyler jumping in at the top uh, just to make an announcement. Um, with the format change that we did in the last couple months, we've seen a rapid increase in listenership and that made me really sort of consider the state of the podcast. So I have decided that we're going to do a bit of a rebrand. We're changing the name from Clever Kids to one that just sort of describes what we do on the podcast. So we set on the name uh, The Mighty Rewind. I'm currently working on new cover art for the podcast, a new song for the podcast, an intro, um, and all of that. So yeah, it's just uh, wanted to rebrand and maybe make something that describes the podcast a little bit better so that when people are looking at our podcast, they kind of get the idea of what we're going for. So I do just want to quickly thank everybody who has been jumping on and listening, uh, all new listeners, and uh, thank you for listening and recommending the podcast to to people that really means a lot to us obviously everybody who's been around since day one uh, i really appreciate your support as well i know most of you just work with my brother and so you listen out of guilt but we appreciate you nonetheless um and yeah so we'll see you guys in the new year with the new name new song and new art just don't be surprised when you see the mighty rewind um uh, in your your podcast downloads and uh you know look for that on spotify going forward all right Thanks, everybody, and uh, I hope you like this new episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. And I'm Jeff. And that pause you hear is Brian. Um, I... uh, He's still not here, guys. He's still not here. I don't know. We haven't talked to him in months. I don't know what happened. What's going on with him? He's just missing somewhere. I don't know. Last I heard, he was getting on a plane to Zimbabwe or something. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, But this week, we watched one of his favorite movies in an attempt to lure him back to to the podcast. How the Grinch Stole Christmas from the year 2000. Directed by, you guessed it, Ron Howard. Uh, written by Dr. Seuss, Jeffrey Price, and Peter S. Seaman. The movie stars Jim Carrey, Taylor Momsen, Jeffrey Tambor, Christine Baranski, Clint Howard, Molly Shannon, and others. And uh, yeah, it currently is sitting at a 49% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics with a 56% from audience. Honestly, that's a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. Are you for surprised the by the that, audience? Jeff? But honestly, both. I thought this movie would be beloved. I thought this would be like super high with the audience. No, 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 no. It's only beloved by us, the Perry brothers. <laughs> That's it. I, there's a lot of people that like this movie. Everyone I talk to loves this movie. I've it's never like one s- of those standard. It's like a standard Christmas movie. That's not true. Whoever you're talking to is either lying to you or gaslighting you. Or they're both. in my age group. Like they all were in the age that this came out. It was funny. Jim Carrey was the thing. This movie's great, and and I everyone that I talk to agrees with me. So I just might not so, be talking to. I'm not disagreeing with you on whether or not this movie is good. I un, like unashamedly love this movie. I think it's I if I could go back to our underrated episode, um and put another movie up there it this would be up there on that list for me because i don't understand why more people don't like this movie like i think it's very funny and consistently overlooked and when you look at film critics or listen to people talk about it they just talk about how bad this and cat in the hat were and i'm gonna come out i'm gonna come clean right now cat in the hat's not that bad either i I almost watched cat in the hat after this movie that movie's great people are people are wrong and it's okay it's okay for people to be wrong so, um, what is it about this movie that we like? I mean, Jim Carrey's fantastic. He's one of those characters that's up there with the likes of, of uh, Robin Williams, who will just step into a role and make it insane. Um, yeah. And to give him this role that is supposed to be just kind of like a beloved child Dr. Seuss film about some weird green monster that lives out in the mountains that decides to stop being a hermit is uh is funny um I, I i like this movie i think it's great it captures the christmas spirit it's wonderfully done it's a beautiful combination between cgi and, and practical effects 
uh, I don't know. It's it's up there. It works for me on a lot of different levels. Yeah, I think that this this attempt to do like a live action Doctor Seuss universe did it for me. I don't know why. It's fucking weird and creepy and very like. I, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's such a strange decision, but it is right up there in my aesthetic. Like, like, like right in the sweet spot for me. I think it is, it, it's fascinating to look at these worlds that they create, especially this one with like the world of the who's on their little snowflake is so cool looking. Um, all the who's with their, like the makeup that they have. Like I, you yeah i just i don't know man it it really does it for me and i wish i wish that this movie was actually considered a christmas classic i wonder if as our generation gets older we will see more people kind of be like oh yeah that movie is good i remember seeing that movie and liking it as a kid maybe also i just wasn't a cynical adult when this movie came out and so i was able to watch this movie with like wonder when it came out i was 10 years old you know it was like perfectly placed for me to like like it you know what were you gonna say i, mean, I, th- I think no i was gonna say i mean like, i think this movie is is underappreciated not just in the value of it but just in the effort that it took to produce this film was substantial i mean there's i, I looked into um the fun facts for this film and what i learned initially I thought it was very interesting, and we're going to take your opinion on some of the things that I learned before I, I reveal what, what I've learned. But <laughs> one of the things that I'm, I'm going to share right now is that um, uh, this film had the most extras in full costume and heavy makeup, like the actual just people that, that were required to be in different prosthetics work, since The Wizard of Oz. There's no film between The Wizard of Oz and, like, no film ever beat Wizard of Oz until The, the Grinch came along. Does that make sense? The Wizard of Oz held this title for most amount of extras in full prosthetic and makeup work. Did you by any chance the- check to see who, uh, if if that if it if the Grinch holds that title still? Uh, I don't know if he still holds that title. If they still hold that title, I don't know. Interesting. Um, I would be surprised if there's a film that came out since that actually you because I mean, it's talking about the prosthet the, the actual. Uh, practical effects part of this this film which is what we're going to be talking about for our topic today but um it was substantial and and we're going to spend a decent amount of time talking about the practical effects for this film it's insane i don't know how much you know about the production of this film but you're going to learn a lot um yeah i'll be honest i don't know a lot good good then this is going to be an eye-opening episode for you yeah, like You're I said, this is folks. a movie that people kind of like, it's always like the butt of a joke when, when I listen to like film podcasts, like they'll be like, what am I going to watch the Grinch, the Jim Carrey Grinch movie? And people go, "Ugh, yuck, or something like that. And like, that's how, and I always like, it might kind of hurt, like, it, like physically, like it's like they're dissing me personally, because I'm like, Come, I like this movie a lot. I don't understand why people hate it so much, but people, you know, people just don't really like it. So it's unfortunate, but their loss i guess um yeah so i don't yeah i don't do we do we want to like talk about the movie at all or do we just want to get into the main topic i just i, don't, I mean i don't know what there is I, to uh, say like, about it except for that i like i really like it and people should watch it like i think people who the people who don't like it have a very sentimental view of the original television cartoon dr seuss that's that you know is just the poem of it right which and still like, exists. Go watch it and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, that's fine. But I don't really give a shit about that. And I don't have like this weird reverence for Dr. Seuss that a lot of people have. Like I grew up with it as much as the next person, but like I don't get like I don't think it was that great, you know? Like it was fine, I guess. Um But like the this was like sort of them adapting that and being like, Well, what you know, if this isn't a poem, what would that you know story b and i think that it really works as a narrative like you still get all the main points plus you get jim carrey the great one just coming with some real heat you know he has some great jokes in it that i have to believe are just jim carrey going off the cuff and getting wild with it you know i just i don't know man i just this movie really works um 
I got a couple lines in it that that are just completely stuck in my head and like I think about more than I should. Uh, specifically, number one is the "Hey, old timer, mind if I wet my whistle?" Which is just such a weird thing to say, and I don't know why. But for like, the dude who's got a beard that that he has shaped into a, a, a flask holder. Yeah, exactly. It's wild prosthetics. It's so funny. Um, they were definitely going for something. You know, this is like Ron Howard channeling Tim Burton, or yep. um, that's exactly how I describe it. Or or uh, um. What's the guy who did the Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values? Uh, uh, I cannot think of his so name right now. But um. so let's let's get into it then. So we're like we're in full agreement. Yes, the plot is lacking, but then again, it's from a fucking fifteen-page source material. Like, what do you want from it? Um, and they did an incredible job with it. Let's get into some of the fun facts here because there's a lot there's a lot to dive in here. Um, let me ask you this. How do you think the experience was for Jim Carrey? You know, watching his performance on the screen, how do you think that, that he perceives his time on set? Uh, not great, probably, because he would have had to sit in the prosthetics chair for a really long time. But you're watching him on screen. I mean, you don't see him as you know behaving uncomfortably, right? I mean, you don't see that carry through. I mean, you would never expect watching this film that he would be unhappy at the whole time. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right, but I know for a fact um, that uh, that Mike Myers, after doing the Cat in the Hat, it basically he basically stopped making movies for a while after that movie because the prosthetics uh, aspect of it, he was just like, "This is trap! Like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me." You know, it was like <laughs> he felt like I don't know. So let me, so let me take this. Let me take you down this little kind of story. So <clears throat> Jim Carrey, at the time that he accepted this role, when he found out that this movie was being made, he was fully in to character acting for the Man on the Moon. You watch that documentary of, of him playing as Andy Kaufman, um, where he's absolutely insane. So he was he showed up in character and auditioned for the Grinch in character as Andy Kaufman because he was still character acting at that time. Got the role didn't know what he was signing up for the first time they put the costume on guess how long it took four hours double it eight hours the first time that they ever put on the suit it took eight and a half hours that's how they eventually they eventually got that down to about three hours a day by the end but towards the end of production but he spent a total of 92 total days wearing the Grinch suit during filming that's way too much time insane he had no idea that he was going to be signing up for that until he was already showing up to film and was insane apparently the prosthetics for contacts weren't great and they tried to do the whole thing under practical effects the contacts that he was wearing to make his eyes turn yellow and give him like were insane because they had to cover his entire uh, not just his pupil, but his entire the white part too. Um, they were so uncomfortable that they were literally like being tortured. He made the head makeup artist quit because he was because just he was, so mean to her. He was so unpleasant. It was a guy. He was I think it was a guy. I don't know. Um, he was so unpleasant to work with during that time where he was just like can't, like he was just begging for someone to come in and like solve his problems of being so uncomfortable and being in those prosthetics. That he was just fucking miserable. And I had no idea. I would totally assumed, given how jolly and how funny he is, like, that he's having a blast. Just like he's on an Ace Ventura set or something. But he is absolutely suffering for every single second of this film. And I mean, yet, he goes on to deliver such an incredible performance. Only for it to be spat, spit on by so many people. It's a shame. But I think that he delivered an incredible acting performance while overcoming all of this adversity. Adversity. <laughs> Dude, I mean, what else do you call that? I mean, literally three hours a day that you're that you're just putting the stuff on and then you're filming for at least eight to ten hours to get the information. Like, that's insane. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's way too much. No, but like... So, yeah. halfway through the filming process, so, so Ron Howard's able to go and make amends with the head makeup artist. They get him back on. Jim Carrey promises to be a little bit nicer to work with. Uh... 
and, and throughout the entire filming process, Jim's making it very, very, very clear that he's miserable. Ron Howard, in an attempt to try and make amends, goes through the makeup process himself. He goes, shows up on set at like 4 a.m., goes through the whole makeup process, walks up to Jim Carrey in costume, and Jim Carrey starts berating him. Because he doesn't know that it's Tom Howard, he think or Ron Howard, he thinks that it's his new stunt double. And he goes, this guy isn't the right height. This guy doesn't look anything fucking like me. Like, this is such a terrible de- decision for Ron Howard to bring your ass on set. This is a disgrace. This is, and Ron Howard's like, dude, it's me. <laughs> and, and Jim Carrey's like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, so shit got so bad. Apparently, Jim Carrey was addicted to something at the time. I don't know what, what substance he was. But it, shit got so bad that he started leaning on the substance super heavily that he just started disappearing from the set for days on end. That he would just sh- just disappear and be gone for a couple of days. And then he'd come back in and film for a couple of days and then disappear for a couple of days. And they never really figured out what the fuck he was doing. They just would get back to work whenever he showed up and they would just continue. He was so... He basically walked up to Ron Howard and said, I'm going to quit. I can't do this anymore. I, okay, I have to leave your project unfinished. I can't do it. One of the producers found out and reached out to an old uh, CIA contact got in touch with the person who was in charge of training our CIA operatives to uh, successfully withstand waterboard torture and had him spend a couple days with Jim Carrey on set teaching him techniques in order to (laughs) get him through the process of filming this movie. All right. I would be honest. This movie's not that good. Like that's such an extra level of, like having to sit through some shit for a movie that like I like it a lot, but it's not worth that, right? I mean, I think we all have to agree that it's it, nobody should. One of the feel things that, that they recommend, or apparently one of the things that the CIA operatives recommend, is getting addicted to cigarettes because your constant craving for nicotine will pull your mind away from the torture. So Jim Carrey oh, started good. smoking like multiple packs a day. Um, in order to, to get away from it. But he literally was just practicing, like he used this Zen meditative state techniques that this guy taught him to get through the process of filming this film, which is insane. The most insane thing I've ever heard about someone producing a film before. Yeah, that's nuts. I honestly wish I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, so yeah, it's such a crazy, that's so crazy to me. In order to um, finish the filming, Jim Carrey, by the end, in the last couple of days of filming, was like, I will do the rest of it, but I can't wear the contacts anymore. I'm going to just, like, I, I'll, I can't do it. I won't do the contacts anymore. He refused. And so there's only a couple scenes in the film where they CGI'd his eyes yellow to match the contacts that he was wearing in the rest of the filming. They, they went through and did an actual combination. I don't know which scenes there are, but there are a couple where you can actually, where apparently his eyes are... Um, cgi yellow instead of uh practical effects yellow that's um wild and it and it was worth it they did it was worth it they did win the academy award in the year 2000 for best makeup and hairstyling um i mean it's it's an insane um process for jim carrey to go through and uh and make it work but like some of the best scenes from that film were literally due to how upset that jim carrey was like jim carrey stopped wanting to take multiple takes obviously he wanted the filming to be done as soon as possible so in the script when he pulled the, the, the skirt away from the plates he was supposed to make a mess of it but jim carrey accidentally actually pulled the sheet out and got upset and comes back and knocks everything <laughs> off the table and they're like that's a, that's exactly what the rich would do we'll keep <laughs> that's crazy um that I heard that the same that was the same thing in Ghostbusters where Bill Murray does that, I think, or I can't remember if he nails it or if he if he is supposed to nail it and then it, he fucks up and they just kept that in the screen because they said it was funnier. It's like one of those two happened. Um, that's yeah, very funny. Okay, what what is our topic this week? Let's move into our topic. I'm tired of listening to the fact finding out that. Um, that Jim Carrey is miserable. Yeah, that Jim Carrey was destroyed. Uh, that's upsetting to hear. Yeah. So in this film, the other thing that was really in this film was right on the cusp of all of that CGI 
um, practical generation. So this film is what I think is a really, really good combination of both practical and computer generated um, images in that what we're seeing, like there, there's, I think something like 40 minutes of screen time in this film where the where what you're seeing on screen is literally only CGI. So about a, what, a third of the runtime of this film um, or, or something like that is just images where the camera's panning away and all you're seeing is, is CGI. Um, but on top of that, <laughs> then you also get everything we're going to talk about, which is the, the extreme effort that they're making on the uh, makeup and the costuming, the, the, all of the extras are all to the brim embracing this Whoville. In fact, last fun fact, they actually opened up a Who Academy where all of the extras had to go and act and learn how to be a part of Who culture um, for the film. So that was fun. Um, it's called Who School. It's like Cats. Cats has got the Cat School thing. Yeah. So this film is such an insane combination of both practical effects, which we've touched on already, and CGI effects. I mean, there, there's something like 40,000 CGI trees in the opening scene where you're like panning over the forest to look at Whoville, which is an insane number of trees that had to go through and be generated. They didn't have a lot of the techniques that they rely on today. A lot of those things were learned through films like The Grinch. And so the topic that I want to talk about is um, practical effects versus CGI. It's come up a couple of times in our recent topics, and I'm curious if you have an opinion over of practical effects versus CGI, I know a lot of fandoms will, a lot of the older participants in pop culture will vehemently uh, support the idea of only utilizing practical effects and hate when things become more computer generated. Do you have an opinion? I Okay, so I think it depends on the type of film that we're watching, right? Like, I think, like, I genuinely, one of the reasons I go back to the movies that we've, like, recommended so far, like, The Thing, like, I really love that movie because of its use of practical effects, right? Um, another movie that I really like because of its use of practical effects was Willow and uh, Little Shop of Horrors. And pretty much every movie I've I've recommended on this pod, pod, uh, re, redo of the podcast so far um my favorite star wars are the original star wars that are not the special editions re-released by george lucas because i really like the use of practical effects in that um the more modern star wars actually do a really good job of using a, a blend of practical effects and cgi um i tend to appreciate movies that have a very heavy emphasis on practical effects um my favorite movie that came out in 2022 Everything Everywhere All at Once used almost exclusively practical effects, uh, in-camera practical effects. Um, there's something about the realness of it. Like, no matter how good Thanos looks on, in Avengers, um, I can tell I'm looking at a computer-generated image. You know? Like, the textures look amazing. Everything looks really good, but I... I can tell and it doesn't bother me. It's fine. Sometimes I want that. Like I love the Transformers movies because I love the CGI spectacle of those movies, you know? And like, right. even though I know those movies are hot trash, I, I like them a lot because I like the art, the artistry behind the CGI and seeing like these giant robots come to life. Like it's just a cool image to me. Um, but I do like I, I don't know I guess I fall somewhere in between like I it depends on like what mood I'm in what type of movie I'm watching I don't like when I'm watching a movie that's like a rom-com and then they just like have like a really random moment where it's just like really shit CGI I'm like I would have preferred that we just didn't have that scene in the movie mm -hmm. you know um but you know I'm I'm somewhere in the middle of different movies call for different things and I also think that it's the usage right but at the same time, to play devil's advocate, you also loved Avatar. Mm -mm. I like the spectacle of Avatar. That's exactly my point. But the spectacle was all CGI. Sure. Well, I just said I like Transformers and the yeah. Avengers. Right. You like, well, Transformers is like Godzilla, right? I mean, it, you, you watch it because it's I like Godzilla too. I liked Godzilla right. and but, King Kong too. It was but great. CGI isn't, but like Godzilla and, and, and Transformers is monster fighting it's not uh 
Sure. Uh, I think that Avatar is, and like, I'm excited for The Way of Water to come out this week. It comes out on Friday or Thursday, and I'm probably going to go see it on Thursday night um, in 3D alone. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm excited, to be honest. Like, I, I like the visual spectacle of it, and I'm happy to go and live in this animated world, but I am going in knowing that that's what it is, right? If I was going in expecting people painted blue and then it was the CGI shit and it looked messy, I probably wouldn't like it as much, you know? But I think the visual visual spectacle of the first Avatar movie, the, despite the fact that it's an entirely animated film, and like, yeah, sometimes you can see the seams when it's like a man in a giant mech suit or whatever, but I'm here for it. That's, I'm, you know, I'm going in knowing that and I'm there to see that, right? Um there are things where it doesn't work. There's a movie, there's a remake slash, I guess you would call it like a requel. It's a prequel to the thing, but it's called the thing. And it was done in like 2010 or 11 or something like that. And they initially filmed it with practical effects, but whoever watched it like from the studio didn't like the way the practical effects looked. So they CGI'd over the practical effects, but they kind of rushed it. And it looks, the movie is actually kind of cool. And some of the transformation looks cool, but it does not have, and honestly, like, I like it. I think it, that movie stands up for me, but it's not as good as the original because it's missing that magic from the practical effects and like how weird it is to see like these weird jelly things, you know? There's something magical about the practicality of things um, that gets lost. I guess I agree. I mean, I'm I'm always much more impressed when I see something that is practical and saying, "Wow, someone had to actually build in like pistons and build in things that make that move," or someone had to be standing over this thing and manually manipulating it with strings or with their hand up the puppet's ass. Something that <clears throat> had to be coordinated had to be done. It wasn't just someone behind a computer clicking. Not that that is an impressive work either, right? I work for a robotics firm. I, I understand exactly the capabilities of engineering and I, I think that's incredible too. Yeah. But there is something also... that is just less impressive of someone being able to make it right the first time than someone who's able to just create the magic of improv and you know capturing it on the second. Yeah, the but page. I'm not going back to a shirtless bodybuilder painted green for the Hulk. You know what I mean? Like, I want CGI Ruffalo, Hulk. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that. Like, you know, I'm I'm not doing that again. So it worked in the 70s uh, because that's what, you know, you had the limitations. But I'm, you know, I don't know. I But I also find what James Cameron and I think it's Weta Studios uh, does the Avatar movies. But like. I'm genuinely very impressed by how real that all looks. Right. And like, yeah, I don't know, man. I just, I'm excited for the new one to come out and I don't, I don't have a problem it's with CGI, but I definitely have. Yeah. I would say I appreciate it probably more at this point when I see one that's like stuff that's practical and looks really good. I feel like there was something that my wife and I just watched recently where we both were like, wow, that looks great. You know, and it was like a practical effect. Um, and I can't Did remember you see what the, it the, There's an article recently I read that talked, someone interviewed James Cameron and asked him um, if he's planning on like upping his CGI, if that audiences can expect his way of water to beat Infinity Wars and Endgame as far as like CGI. And he had an interesting response. Did he say something did, did like you, it makes Thanos look like Grimace or something like that? <laughs> no, what he said was that he's like, well, it's not what we're doing. Like, this isn't a competition. I'm making a movie. I'm making the movie in my vision and I'm making it as perfect as it can be. I don't see it as a competition. There's no quality. It's not like they did four stars and I'm coming in to do a five star service. Like we are all pushing the industry to its absolute fullest. What they did was nothing less than incredible. And I loved every single second of what I saw. And if I come anything very close to them, it's going to be incredible. But I'm not here to beat them. Yeah. Right. I'm here to it's, join them in this world of, of you know, pushing what filmmaking can be. And I was like, I love that answer. I respect that answer. And I agree. To be honest. I love that. I, I don't know if there's a filmmaker out there 
that I respect more than James Cameron. Like I wouldn't put any of his movies in like anywhere near my top 10, probably like Titanic's great. Terminator two is good. Aliens is pretty good. You know, like he's, he, he doesn't really miss, but like, yeah. I mean, if other other directors have tropes, his tropes is just billion dollar movies. And just like, but like also like just everybody constantly doubting him whenever he's making a movie and him just like, what's up bitch. Just like dick on the table. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's there and like he, he just, he doesn't miss. So like, even when I heard, like when they came out and they were like, yeah, James Cameron has a plan for three more Avatar movies. I'm like, all right, I'm fucking, I mean, like, I didn't really love the first one, but like, it was pretty cool. And like, I can't deny that that, that feeling of being in the theaters and watching that and knowing that it's like that world wasn't real, but it looked like that, you know, like I just, think, uh, I'm curious projections. How long do you think we're going to be tied to Sam Worthington here? Like Sam Worthington's. I like Sam Worthington. Do you not like him? Sure. I mean, he's just no one. He's not in anything anymore. Yeah, he, he took a step back because he like had like addiction problems or something like that, or he wanted to work in Australia because he was going through a divorce and had kids. It was like something like that. We had like personal issues, so he took a step back from big budget filmmaking. And like to be honest, he was in the uh, in the name of God or what or in the name whatever the under the banner of heaven, whatever that Mormon detective show was on Netflix or HBO or whatever with, uh, uh, Andrew Garfield, where it's like about Mormons, he's in that and he crushes it. He's in a, a TV show with Paul Bettany about the Unabomber, about like the Unabomber case. And he plays yeah. a detective who's tracking down the, the Unabomber. It's called manhunt. And he's fucking great in that. Like, I genuinely think that Sam Worthington is like a really, really, really talented actor. And I'm I'm happy for him to be back. You know, I I don't I don't remember what it was. I read something about him having some personal trauma, something. So he took a step back. You know what? More power to him. He should be people should be allowed to take breaks if they if they are able to. You know. So Here's why do you not and like I him? I don't have a problem with him. I, I like a lot of the movies that he's in. But you I know what? I even like feel... Terminator Salvation. That movie gets I, a lot of heat. I but... didn't hate that movie. I just like I don't feel polarized by it. I don't feel the gravitas of an absolute fucking super superstar when I see him on screen. It's so funny because single... Brian, he was like Brian's guy after Tom Hardy. I mean, Brian <laughs> liked his movie, but like, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I can't tell you a single film or a single moment from any of his scenes where I was like, that was superb acting. Like that delivery, that, that, that emotional, I'm like, I just, I don't, I'm not seeing it from him. Like he's good. He's a good actor. I believe that he is playing the role that he is believing that he's playing. Right, he he allows me to to get lost in the film and play the character that he's there to play for the ninety to you know two hundred forty minutes that he's on screen. Yes, that's no, that's four hours. Uh, one hundred eighty <laughs> minutes that he's on screen. Dude, this um, did you see, hear about the <laughs> runtime? Three hours and nineteen no. minutes. <laughs> no, fuck, I can't buy a soda. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna have to pee twice. And uh, James Cameron apparently in the movie or in an interview was like, "Isn't that too long?" He's like, "Just get up and pee. I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> see the movie twice, yeah, a piece yeah, of shit. I don't give a shit. Just go. Who cares? <laughs> um, so yeah, we need to bring back the intermission, right? They used to have intermissions for like if 90 movies minutes are else. gonna be three hours long. They definitely need an intermission. I can't like, like I have to pee when a movie's an hour and a half. Are you kidding me? I have the smallest they used to have intermissions for, for ninety minute films, and we're doubling it, and we're not getting the intermission back. This is bullshit. Yeah, I have to pee so much, uh, I, and I feel dehydrated so much. I genuinely think I have diabetes. <laughs> um, so so here's what I'm doing. I I don't know why. This just popped in my head. It's going to be a hot take. We'll see how accurate it is. So this is what I desire for the film, but this is what I'm predicting for this. You know what's funny is we were not talking about Avatar. Now the whole podcast is derailed. <laughs> we had to bring some positivity. No, let's go. Get in there. Go. I think I think that this is going to be the Planet of the Apes franchise part two. I like those movies a lot. I don't mean the 2010 ones. I like those. I like the originals I mean, too. I read the book. And you're going to go like this is – so you've got you've got the the absolute banger of a film with Planet of the Apes, Charlton Heston, you damn dirty apes, they blew it up. Yeah, Perfect. great movie. That's the equivalent of Avatar, right? This groundbreaking no, film. No, that movie followed up. <laughs> Avatar was not good. It just it looked great. It's the most great. highest earning film of all time. Because you it was a visual spectacle. 
sure. So I'm just saying, like, as far as culturally, it is, it is, boom, it is there, right? It is up there. It is in the conversation. People are going to see the sequel because they like the, the, the first one, regardless of what they see about the sequel. Okay? But we're going to see the same shit, right? The Planet of the Apes was followed up by underground aliens that have been mutated because of nuclear bombs. They blow up the world. Monkeys get sent back in time. Suddenly it's it's apes in 1960s that get assassinated because of a political trauma that they get brought into in the Cold War. And then their son raises up the sentient. They're like, it's a whole fucking insane series of movies that just ends in a really anticlimactic fight of chimpanzees versus gorillas um, in the fifth film. And for some reason, I'm feeling this franchise is going to go the same way. I, I, I think that this movie could have just been a one and done, but... He's trying to create a Marvel universe out of a property that doesn't exist. And I love James Cameron, but I haven't really seen this level of coordination, this level of anthology storytelling that he's going for. And I don't know, man, I'm not seeing the star power in this film. So people bring him. You got Sigourney Weaver, you got um, uh, Zoe Zaldana and you got uh, Sam Worthington. And I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not seeing the star power. I'm not seeing the longevity. I'm not seeing 20 more years of storytelling coming out of this world. I mean, we, who know? it's not up to you to decide what what James Cameron does with the movie, right? It's whatever. James Cameron has basically made it clear. He's like, oh, I'm not going to do anything but Avatar now. Like, this is this is my, this is my you know, thing. I'm only yep. doing this. And it's like, okay, I mean, I guess. And to be honest, like, the trailer's um it's difficult to tell you it's difficult to see the seams you know what i mean like i've never seen water look the way that it does in this movie i've never seen like gen- computer generated water excuse me um the textures where they, they do like zoom in pictures or like zoomed in parts of like them tying their hands to their their weird dragons or whatever and like the textures on the skin and like the water droplets on their hands as they like splash as they're like moving and tying the ropes i was like I genuinely like I know in my head that that's a computer generated image, but like looking at it right now, like if I went back in time to the nineties and someone showed me that I'd be like, Oh, aliens landed in and you film movies with them now. Right. I guess, you know, because it looks so real, you know, you know, it just, yeah. So I don't know if, if Cameron, if so the review embargo, what is today? The 12th? Is that right? Yeah. The review embargo for this movie ends tomorrow. So all of the critics can release their reviews of the movie. And we're going to have a Rotten Tomatoes score by Wednesday that will probably be either certified fresh or a splat, right? Um, but from what I hear, the early, what they can do is like their Twitter early reactions. It's not like a full review. The early reactions have all been... Like I haven't seen a single negative reaction come through from any critic. Every single critic has been like, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. <laughs> and that, that's all they said. And it's like, wow, that like I genuinely like I was going to see it either way, you know, but. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, mean, like he's cracked the code, like everyone's upset at Disney for them continuously to just do remakes right so they're like they went through and they did all their animated things for that the, the, from the 60s to the 90s and now they're doing live action retelling of all of their animated films and you know what? james cameron's just doing it better last time we got pocahontas now we're going to get beauty and the beast and then we're going to get whatever the fuck else right that's that's what the plan is i see you james cameron but why wait why what makes you think this one's beauty and the beast <laughs> i don't know i have no idea I don't, I don't watch the trailers i have no idea what to expect i'm going to blind yeah, no, I mean, that's, you're right. It's not going to be Beauty and the Beast. It's going to be Tarzan this time. That's that's the idea here. You got, you got humans living with apes, the apes, the blue people. I see you, James Cameron. Okay. You can't slip this one past me. You're being racist towards the Na'vi now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling them monkeys. Um, all right. I didn't ask you about what you think about practical or um, – digital special effects and like what your preference is really i know you kind of exposited on it but like do you want to just like wrap up with your, your thoughts on that and then we'll get into what we've been reading personally i i like the world of both right that's that's the generation that i grew up in i love the combination of both there is in some cases just no beating practical effects there is a joy that i see watching someone knowing someone went through that effort 
to create that experience, right? Knowing that Jim Carrey suffered for that film so that people could, like me, could have that positive experience watching that. If I see Jim Carrey in person, the first thing I'm going to thank him for is for making The Grinch. Because while it may not be publicly accepted, I know it's the movie that he suffered the most for, and I appreciate that. You know what? I'm I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Jennifer Lawrence and Rebecca Romaine for like them sitting and doing the hours of makeup for the Mystique character. The, that makeup is iconic and like that character design. I mean, they didn't need to do it that way because the character in the comics wears clothes. <laughs> so they definitely could have just done the comics outfit and not done all of the special effects, but they did. And it's, you know, I appreciate right. that. Drax, uh, what's his name? As Drax the Destroyer with all of that makeup. Like, that can't be easy. Um, all of the characters that are doing all the makeup in all the Marvel movies and DC movies and all of that shit, like, I just, you know, props to them for doing that because they're, it's a lot of the time, that just looks so much better the way the light hits that practical effects than a lot of CGI. I mean, we just saw with, like, She-Hulk. I don't know if you watched it, but, like, I haven't yet. the rendering on it is really good, but it's not. Perfect. quite yeah. there and it looks and, it looks like you just see the seams and like it moves weird and like hair flows weird and it is production schedules just aren't going to change with video games with films i work in construction construction like you're not going to change the schedule people are going to have the amount of time that they have to push things out and so we need to find a way to to help the people who are producing these films to be able to to make it work and putting in those practical effects so that when you need CGI, you have someone who can sit down and make the CGI correct is important, right? That you made an excellent point with Rebecca Main Stamos, X-Men 2001 was an amazing combination of combination, a combination of practical and, and CGI where you have her standing there delivering full lines, building amazing speeches, but then whenever she transforms, it has this really, really riveting, fun transformation from character to character. Um, and I appreciate that. They were able to, to devote the time to doing that because they didn't have to just see J.R. Her Blue for every single frame that she was on screen. Um, yeah, it just... Uh, it's um, It has to be a combination of both. I love the prequels. You love the, you love the, the, um, the originals. I love the Star Wars prequels. I don't give a fuck about the fact that there's CGI images. They don't bother me. I don't care about scenes. I don't care about stitching. I don't care about the bad CGI. I don't care. I like all it's of those too, but I, I really appreciate what that, that practical effects work that they Agreed. did, the ILM, ILM did right. at the time, you know, like I think the, that's the really practical cool. effects of the star Wars, like that, that final duel is insane and it's all practical. At least the, 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 the movements of the characters for the most parts are, um, very fun. I don't know. It's uh, it has to be a combination for both. There, there is a world where both works, and the films that I enjoy the most are the ones that are both. I don't typically love the movies that are all CGI or all practical. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. Um, okay, let's move on to what we've been reading. What's clever? Uh, watching, reading, listening to. You sure. want to start? Yeah, I had a pretty long spill last time, so I'll leave uh, some of it to you. But I do just want to make one shout out. I decided to uh, pull the trigger and watch some just unrelated superhero content. As everyone knows, I'm a pretty big superhero nerd. I watched a Sylvester Stallone movie on Amazon Prime called Samaritan. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this film? Mm -hmm. Did you watch it? Uh, no, but I, I watched a review breakdown of it. Um it's entertaining. Is right? it? It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, it's, um, concept of the film, just 15 second. If you don't already know it, you can stop me if you already know it, but 15 second review is that, uh, story goes, these two people were born with powers, brothers. Uh, one turns evil, one turns good. They fight the good fight and, uh, they both die. So the story goes, um, some young kid discovers the hero who has survived and is trying to get him to reclaim his mantle and fight the good fight. There's also a gang lord who uh, is trying to resurrect the title, the mantle of the villain. And uh, it's good. It's honestly, it's the kind of films that I think Sylvester Stallone should be making. It's, it's just fun little quick character stories where he comes in, gets to be an old man who's got some fucked up backstory that explains why he can't talk so good. And... Uh, <laughs> 
and and let him get out there and do some action, man. It's 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 fun stuff. Okay. Did you watch the Owen Wilson one too? So that's a TV show. Um, it is. So it's. I believe so. Yeah, I think I thought it was just show. a movie. I think it's an episodic TV show. So mm. I, I I haven't actually looked into it, but I saw that when it was coming out, and and I, it is on my list of things to watch. Interesting. Did you watch anything else? Uh, that, like in that vein, like you said, you watched a couple things that are unrelated. No. Uh, let's see. I've been keeping up. Rick and Morty season finale was last night, so I watched that. I'm waiting for um, it to hit one of the streaming services so I can watch it. It's entertaining. Um, other than that, I watched season three of an anime that is called "Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon?" Um, wow, quite a name. That anime is insane. I don't know if I'd fully recommend it. There's a lot of better animes out there, but um, it has to do with pantheons and gods and heroes and monsters. So it drew me in. Um, I like the second season a lot. The third season's not as good, but apparently there's a fourth um, that is out there somewhere. Um, still waiting. I'm, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on like an anime subscription, start watching Chainsaw Man. But right now, between the two main anime places, My Hero's on one and Chainsaw Man's on the other. So I like have to pick between the two and I haven't made a decision yet. But Chainsaw Man's on Hulu or something. Yeah, but not, not English dubbed. But you can so, just watch it with subtitles. Fuck that. What else are you doing? Um, uh, so that's a good question. The other thing I am doing that I am absolutely in love with, my game of the year this year right now, and I'm probably a recency bias, Marvel's Midnight Suns oh. is a fucking absolute banger. People are really liking it. Wait, are you watching? Are you playing? It's a turn-based strategy, it's right? It's turn-based. Yeah, turn-based strategy set within the Marvel Universe. Uh, insane amount of character customization. Insane amount of character interactions between the characters. If you're thinking about getting it, get it. You won't regret it. It is very fun. It is very balanced. It is going to keep you coming back for more. Um, and I'm loving it. I watched uh, Nope. Very good. Everybody should watch that. It's on amazon or hulu or something peacock maybe i don't know i have all i have all the streaming services i don't know where anything is um i watched a movie called the stranger australian film with joel edgerton and uh not jared harris uh oh the guy who is the he plays the bad guy in the two most recent mission impossible movies fallout and um oh i don't know his name yeah, but you know who I'm talking about, right? That guy? Yeah, yeah. I really like him as an actor. Uh, he was in a show called The Borgias back in the day. That was not a good show, but I really liked him in it. And he was probably the reason I kept watching the show. Because he played like this gay assassin. And he's just really good. And I was like, this guy's sick. Um, I watched a documentary from a couple years ago that I had never heard of. But someone recommended on a podcast. And it's insane. It's called Shirkers. Everyone should watch it. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but everyone should watch it. I watched the stop motion Pinocchio film by Guillermo del Toro that just hit Netflix. I was curious about that. What'd you think? Um, it's really dark. There's like Nazis and shit in it. Like I was like, what the fuck? Like, I don't think I know this story well enough because like, this is blowing my mind. Is this is like a Guillermo del Toro decision? But apparently, that's like from the original book or story or something i don't really know it it's really dark in the 1930s but i don't know it was it was good enough you know it's only like an hour and a half hour and 45 like it was it was fine um been keeping up with willow really liking it i think we'll probably just do a recap at the end of the season as we usually do but um yeah man i i'm i'm digging willow i think it's fun i mean there are a couple things they throw a lot of like gen z humor that feels out of place in a fantasy world but you know what like go, like we if i hadn't just rewatched the original willow that movie had a hell of humor in it too you know what i mean so the the humor works i guess for me i i compare it when people ask about it because I, I was recommending it before i went and saw it and I, I, when people ask like oh what did you think when you watched it i was like you know I, if i'm comparing it to ring of power because most people in my office watched rings of power on my recommendation i was like Rings of Power is like adult fantasy in my mind. Willow's like youth fantasy. Still a good watch. I love youth fantasy books, but like there is a level of severity or 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 um, I don't know seriousness that is lost in this. Um, I don't know. The acting is definitely a little bit more cavalier. 
um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, writing is definitely suffering a little bit. Just, you know, interesting, quippy decisions and stuff that I'm like, eh. But then again, there's also some real humor um, that, that actually made me laugh. And, and I am enjoying the film. Sorry, TV show. Yeah. Um, cool. I, um, yeah. So the other thing I watched, uh, I watched today actually is, uh, a romantic comedy called bros. Have you heard about it? Uh, Billy Eichner, who some may know as a, I know. what? I know Billy Eichner. Cool. Yeah, he um comes from. I mean, he's some people may know him from Parks and Rec. Some people may know him from his web series that ended up being like an actual series called Billy on the Street, where he just kind of accosts the people of New York. <laughs> uh, he's very very funny. Um, he wrote a romantic comedy about the reality of being gay in a city and how. You know, like makes fun of how like all gay romantic comedies are just straight romantic comedies, but you gender swap the female character for a gay man. But anybody who has gay friends knows that that's not necessarily how dating life works with gay men or how their sex lives work. It's not just, you know, not always men looking for the one or whatever. Sometimes, you right. know, you're there to play in the field or whatever. Right. Uh, this movie is about two gay men playing the field, very emotionally unavailable, very much not looking for a relationship who need um, each other. And there's an attraction there. And then that attraction blossoms into something else. And it's kind of them rectifying like their homosexuality against this like this this desire for a monogamous relationship, even though they're modern and they, you know, they don't want to stop each other from being, you know, living their lives or whatever. And uh to be honest, it's it. I put it on in the background today while I was doing some cleaning while my son was asleep, and I uh, was like, oh, "I'll just throw this on while I'm doing other stuff." And um, I ended up just sitting down and watching it and not finishing the stuff I was doing until the movie was over, because uh, it was it was very very good. Um, I will preface this by saying there's a lot of gay sex scenes. Um, which is confronting in a way that I wasn't expecting because I just like haven't seen super honest gay sex scenes in a movie in this way. You know, it's always, you know, I don't know. Anyway, it was, I just was, I was blown away by how real and, and, and authentic it felt, I guess it just, I don't know. High recommend for me. Um, it, uh, it really approaches the issues in a way that um, I've never seen before. And yeah, I don't know. And there's, and also very, very, very funny, like genuinely very funny um, gay men making fun of themselves in a way that doesn't feel like they're being too self-deprecating or like they're being, they're the butt of the joke. Um, straight people being made fun of a lot, which is, and like very honest to very true portrayals of, of that. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was just honestly like surprisingly like very, very good. Probably one of the best romantic comedies I've seen in a long time. And uh, it's a, when it first came out, it did like all the news stories were basically that it bombed. Like it did terrible in theaters. Nobody went and saw it. And the truth is, I was kind of put off by it, too, because all of the advertising for it was um, this is basically the most important film gay rom-com you'll ever see. And it's the first rom gay rom-com written by gay men starring gay men. And like, it's not about straight people playing gay and blah, blah, blah. And I was just sort of like, maybe this movie is just like for gay people, you know, like maybe it's just, just a movie for gay people to see. And like, I'm going to be uncomfortable or something in it. Um and then the movie bombed and I, you know, kind of was like, oh, that's a bummer. And then when it hit the streaming services, I I saw that it was on the streaming service. So I was like, OK, well, I'll just throw it on. And if I'm if I don't like it, then I'll just turn it off. And uh, now I kind of wish I went and saw it in theaters and supported him because I should have just like been braver. I, you know, I fucked up. I'm not a very good ally, I guess. Um, but yeah, I 
for anybody interested in who, who likes rom-coms like me um this is one to watch for sure interesting and oh a couple other things real quick i've been playing breath of the wild i don't think i like it i've been like playing it for hours and hours and hours and i'm just like this game is too meandering like i'm just apparently the whole i asked you i had to ask you because i was like i feel like i'm not doing enough in this game like i'm just running around fighting random dudes and he's like but jeff says to me yeah that's pretty much the whole game you go and you you find towers and you try to level up your you get better weapons and blah 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 and i was like okay so i've been doing that i probably put like 20 hours into the game and (laughs) i'm done i don't like it anymore i'm like it's, it's just too repetitive it's not there's not enough difference to it i guess for me and there's not enough like missions to go on or whatever i guess i need like small quests to go on yeah the missions are self-imposed right so the purpose of the game is that it's supposed to be like oh i want to get to the top of that mountain oh but i can't i'll freeze okay i need ice armor how am i going to get that ice armor oh i need this specific type of currency that ends like you're supposed to uncover what you're supposed to do through just self-based objectives without necessarily being told you know what the end goal is i need to be canon but how am I going to do that? Yeah, I'm too dumb um, for it, I think, because I cannot... I'm like, oh, I need this kind of thing. Okay, well, I don't I don't know. And I'm not going to Google it. It sounds boring. So I'm just... Anyway, I got Portal and Portal 2 on the Switch. Oh, Because um, they're $13. Do you have it on mm-hmm. Switch? I do. Yeah, Courtney and I play together. Uh, is Portal 1 multiplayer? No. Okay. It's only Portal 2. Yeah, Portal... It, I'm... I blew through like four or five hours last night until like midnight playing it. I that I had heard that the game was great when it came out. I slept on it. I was like, okay, cool. A puzzle game. That sounds boring. Um, and then for years and years and years, it's just kind of like piqued my interest. I keep hearing people talk about it. And then I saw that it was like $12 on the Switch store. And I was like, for both games. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to pull the trigger. That's That's a great deal. And yeah instantly hung in for five hours um and cannot wait to to go lay in bed and play again in like 15 minutes um and then there's another game that is called little nightmares are you aware of this game it's like a side scroller it's like a horror side scroller mm-hmm. um i bought that and played the first couple levels yesterday and i like that a lot too and that's that those two games are gonna have a lot of my attention and then I'm also hovering around buying Hades because I heard Hades 2 trailer just came out at the Game Awards and people are like going all over it. And I'm like, okay, what is this? And it's, Hades like, is fun. it's like $10 on the store. So I'm like, fuck, maybe I it's, should buy it. It's this. entertaining. If you like Greek mythology, you'll play, you'll meet just every single character from Greek mythology. But it's like a entire... top down hack em up. Mm-hmm. Yep. That sounds boring to me. It's, it's interesting. So the entire idea, it's all canonical. It's actually really good. So the entire idea is you start at the bottom level of hell and your goal is to escape, that you are like Hades' hidden son um, and that you are trying to escape to go become relevant. And so you have familiarized yourself with all of these people who have all now finished their story in Greek mythology. Like you got Achilles, you got all these people that have lived their lives, done their stories and died. And it's like your turn to go out and like escape. And so you fight through the lowest level of hell. You go through a bunch of different doors. Finally, you go up against your first boss. You kill him. And then you go into, you know, keep going. You climb all the way through those different levels until you get to Asphodel. And you just keep getting... Every time you die, you just get resurrected down at the bottom pit of hell. And it's all canonical. And you just keep coming back up. And it's just you running back up, picking your sword, and running right back out the door trying to escape. Every um, time you die, you start the whole game over. Yeah, but you get to keep all of your your progress. Like you level up your weapons, but you have to fight the same boss every time. So and after you beat the boss, you'll unlock additional bosses. So there's usually like three or four bosses per level that you will get a cycle through. But typically, you'll fight the same one until you beat them. How long? How many hours did you put into it to beat it? Uh, I never beat it. Uh, Okay, I I don't know if I'm in then. (laughs) I got to to Asphodel. I put in probably about twenty hours. so I got through two levels and got to the third, I think, was Asphodel. Um, I've got two friends that have beaten it who speak very, very highly of it. And, and I enjoyed it. People are stoked on it. And it looks like a game that would be fun on the Switch. Um, yeah. I did want to ask you real quick, if you got a, another minute before we wrap up. Sure. Um, you've been playing the newest Pokemon with Brian, right? Mm-hmm. Are you guys 
digging it is it huge recommend yeah i've i've put more hours into this pokemon game than i've ever put into a pokemon game before i've got 70 hours that, easy what it just came out yeah, like yeah. two weeks ago dude you, there's not even been it's 70 insane. hours have elapsed it, since it came out it came out yeah it did no absolutely. i'm joking i played it a lot still. um i mean it was it's a fun game it is a absolute revolution like there's the reviews are going to be so big so you can read them because so many people are upset that pokemon company isn't putting out the same graphical uh uh, comparative games as Breath of the Wild. And they're like, look, they're able to do it on the Switch. Why can't Pokemon? Well, Pokemon's not about that game. It is a ton of fun. The terratyping is the first time that they've added like a new dynamic to a game that actually affects combat. In the previous games with Z moves from Pokemon from Gen 7 to um, uh, 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 Dynamaxing in Gen 8, didn't care about any of that. Gen 9, the terratyping actually changes the defensive type of your Pokemon. And so if you have a Charizard that's like flying fire and you Terra-type into a dragon, the only attacks that are effective against you are the ones that are effective against dragon. And you can go out and capture all these different Pokemon with all these different Terra-types. And you can you can EV train and IV train has never been easier. I've never cared about those things until this game. But suddenly I'm going up against my brother and I've got to kill him. And so I'm EV training now. I've got all my friends EV training. We're going up against seven-star Charizard raids. My friends and I all beat that. Um, like it's... This game is amazing. Um, huge but is it like the sword and shield? Is it like? Does it look like In that still? Same, same, similar level of graphical of graphics, yeah. But not graphics, but like gameplay too. Is so has gameplay the gameplay is, changed significantly? Because there yes, were raids yes, in that so in as well. One, so, so what's important to note is. Um, in this game you are in a school so you start off you're a student you go to school for one day and they're like cool go adventure <laughs> and then you go out and you have three main objectives okay you've got your gym battle which takes you down like your your tournament road or whatever they call it so you go through and you clear all eight gyms beat the elite four beat the champion you've got your team rocket comparison they're called team star which is basically this like anti-bullying initiative that has become the bullies of this continent and you have to go beat the six people that are propping up this this team and uh, so they're like a pseudo gym battle. And then you have Titan Pokemon. There's four of them, I think. Um, or maybe there's six. I don't remember. Um, you have to go through and beat each of them. And as you beat each of them, you upgrade your own. You have an ultimate Pokemon that you get at the very start of the game. Uh, a legendary Pokemon. And do they and all are... become motorcycles? Because I'm looking at the images right now. And there's like weird so, motorcycle so, Pokemon. So you get a legendary depending on which starter you choose. You either get more. Whichever version of the game you choose. You either get Mirrodon or Corridon. And they're both. They're just your rides for the game. They're just your bike from the very beginning of the game. And then as you beat the Titan Pokemon. You level up your legendary to make him stronger and unlock more travel abilities. He's basically just the replacement for HMs. He can now climb, he can now fly, he can now swim, hmm. right? Okay. But the thing is, there is no actual objective to this game. They don't tell you to beat him in a specific order. They just say go. Mm, so it's more open world. It's completely up to you which order you want to beat them. And the the this is the first game that I've ever actually lost a Pokemon battle. I lost a Pokemon battle to a character, went back and hyper-trained, came back and lost again. And then had to come back and train and beat him a third time. Like it was, I've never lost a Pokemon battle, but this one is actually a, de a degree of difficulty harder than most games. And the typing that you bring matters. The the EV training, the IV training matters. Um, as far as shiny hunting, it's never been easier to shiny hunt. Like they they are breaking down the barriers of entry in order to get access to all of these very fun aspects of Pokemon that have been there for years. That's interesting. Um, cannot speak highly enough about it. Okay. Well, and I was... it's fully multiplayer, so we can hop on and play together. The coolest thing about it is that in all your Pokemon game, there's version exclusives, right? There's certain Pokemon you can only catch in this version. There's only Pokemon you can catch in the other version. When you multiplay, so if you were to buy Violet and play with my Scarlet, it combines the two, and all of the variant exclusives spawn. So you can catch your own Scyther in my game, which doesn't spawn in yours or something, right? Like, it basically combines the two games to make them one complete game, which I think is a fucking incredible decision. I mean, that sounds incredible. Um, okay. Well, I really, when I when you first gave me the Switch Lite, I played, the only game that was loaded on there was um, the Pokemon Sword or whatever, and I I really enjoyed playing that, so... I will say that maybe I'll give it a shot. I don't know. 
But yeah, let's wrap it up there. Next week, uh, shit, I didn't pick a movie. Um, you know what's funny? I really Christmas movies. What? Christmas movies. Christmas movies. Christmas movies. Christmas movies. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about. I want to hold mine until Brian comes because. Um, yeah, I mean, I picked two movies in a row. You can pick two in a row. Just pick a different Christmas movie than the one that you want to hold. Yeah. Well, the reason was because there was a. Um, there was a movie that came out a few years ago called. Um, Anna and the Apocalypse, I think is what it's called. And it's a Christmas. Are you aware of this? It's a Christmas musical zombie movie. So it's like Christmas musical and horror all in one. And I was like, oh, that would be so funny to hit Brian with. <laughs> Very funny. Um, For Christmas, I'm going to choose a movie that came out like two years ago i think called klaus on netflix good movie did you watch this i've loved this movie yeah yeah i just recently watched it and i really liked it and i want to make kelly watch it so i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it again with kelly um i really liked it i thought it was really good so we're gonna pick that and then we'll talk about uh best animated christmas movies as our topic i think so watch everybody out there who's listening to the podcast thanks for sticking with us for this long and uh yeah watch a bunch of animated christmas movies and email us your favorites otherwise (laughs) thanks and we'll see you next week and maybe brian will be back bye guys bye thank you for listening to the clever kids podcast if you want more from us be sure to follow us on social media we're at clever kids pod everywhere or you can get in touch with us at cleverkidspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And be sure to rate us on whatever app you're listening on and recommend us to a friend. We really appreciate it. Or don't. Whatever's clever.